Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's secret golf. It's what I'm looking for. Hi, it's the Secret Golf Podcast on a Monday exciting. I'm Diane Knox and well, we, we probably will do another one later in the week but wanted to get this one out today and I'll tell you why in just a minute. It's kind of a funny week this week because there's no PGA Tour event. PGA Tour back underway next week with the Mayakoba Golf Classic which is always a highlight of the fall season. There's still a lot of fall golf actually with the RSM Classic in Sea Island, Georgia the following week and well, the President's Cup it's happening in December in Australia and this week the captain's picks are made. So we'll definitely be talking about that as well. Now we had double golf last week with the WGC HSBC champions in Shanghai, China and Rory McIlroy claiming his fourth title of the 2019 calendar year. Always fun to watch, especially because it went to a playoff against last year's champion Xander Shoffley and well only took one hole for Rory to get it done. Incredible approach shot on 18 to set himself up for birdie. Rory actually the only European to win three WGCs. It's just like never ending for him. And that puts him up to number two in the FedEx Cup standings. Now, it was also the very first Bermuda Championship. And oh my gosh, did you watch it on TV? Unbelievable, the views there were just gorgeous. I want to book my next trip. Anyway, it was, uh, I, I don't even know how to explain it, but a momentous win for Brendan Todd. He ended up winning by four shots and well we were on 59 watch for a little while yesterday. I was working for the PGA Tour hosting the highlights and it got really really exciting but final round nine under par. He was firing darts and making putts from all over the place. Actually he didn't have to worry about making too many difficult putts because he was firing them so close to the hole 
Brendan's swing coach is Bradley Hughes, who is part of the Secret Golf team. And I wanted to get Bradley on today because nobody's going to be able to dive into it better than him. I put on Twitter earlier that I'm so emotionally invested in golf because there's just so much mental strength, perseverance. And at times you could have like one little slither of self-belief that keeps you going. And I mean, that's exactly what happened here. Brendan's made no secret of the fact that he had the full swing yips. He was hitting his long irons 40 to 50 yards offline. And it's been the culmination of a huge amount of hard work and determination that got him to his second PGA Tour victory. So Bradley is here and well, you must be on cloud nine. Yeah, it was great. I um, I was actually working yesterday, so I didn't get to see a lot of it. But I, I had my uh, eyes on the student and my other eye on the phone, watching <laughs> the scores as they were rolling by. So it was, it was pretty cool to see. It really was. I mean, we've got so much that we can go into with this, but we'll kind of start from the beginning. When did you and Brendan start working together? Uh, we started about last July, I think okay. it was, 2018. He... Um, Obviously, everyone knows his trials and tribulations, which I'm sure we'll run through, but he was um, just given my name from one of his friends who'd seen some of my videos, and he got on my website, saw that I had a book, my e-book, and he, he bought it, and he read it and enjoyed it, so then he got in touch with me and just did one little three-hour session for starters to see the what he thought and what we could come up with, and he liked it, so we just continued on from there. Wow. What do you think it is? Maybe this is quite a hard question for you to answer um, because I know you're a modest person, but what do you think it is about you that when someone like Brendan finds out about you, they research you a little bit more, they see what you can do, and someone that was in his situation as well, when it's kind of a time of desperation, what do you think it is about you and your coaching methods that kind of made him gravitate towards you? Well, I think I think one of the, the main things that some people enjoy the fact is that I was a player at some point, so I, not that I was in the slump that he ever went into, but I, I, I know what goes on in the players' heads because I was one of them at, at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps because, like I said, I know what they're going through. I know what they're trying to do. I know how hard it is to maybe try and do some things when you're out playing because you've got you know four days involved and you, you're trying to think of the swing and you've got your target in your mind and you trying to feel something, that you're trying to work on something. There's all different avenues that are running through your brain. So you can scatter your scatter your brain cells around a little bit trying to do too much. So I think just from a player's perspective, it was it was important for him that I, I knew what he was going through as well, not just the technical side of it. Well, that's exactly it, because with him, there, there was such a, a mental side to it as well. When... You know, we'll, we'll kind of go into that now, I guess. But he won on the PGA Tour, the Biden Nelson in 2014. And then once you get that debut win on tour, and I've heard so many people say it, that like that's great. It's amazing. It's life changing. But the hardest win is the follow up. Like you almost want to solidify the fact that you're still good enough to be on the PGA Tour with a second win. And for him... It came tough because 2015 to 2018, he missed like 40 of 44 cuts, lost his tour card, had to go through the Corn Ferry Tour to get it back. And that's when you started working with him last year when he was in that state. But it's got to be like, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders in that sense. And it has to just be mentally exhausting. 
I'm sure it is because, you know, why why would you lose that talent? Why would it just disappear when something seemed so easy and then it became so difficult? So it's, yeah, it's, you know, obviously there's, there's always a technique involved because once your technique goes off, you lose your ability. And then when you lose your ability, you lose your patience and then you lose your um, reliance on picking the right shot because you don't know what's going to happen and all those. So it's, it's a big snowball effect and obviously it snowballed into a, a big spiral where you know some people play poorly for a few months but he'd, he'd done it for over three years so it was really interesting and I think one of the good things is that I didn't know Brendan like he wasn't around when I played mm-hmm. I didn't really know who he was I got the email from him and and I thought I know that name and I sort of looked him up and realized who it was for sure and and just did a little bit of a background on him to see his, you know he's performances and his scores and what had happened but I didn't ask questions until we got to meet in person and he ran through what he told me was happening and then we watched him hit a few balls and we talked about you know where he wanted to to go and obviously want to go uh, forwards from that point but you know he was he knew and I think one of the good things is that he wasn't going to play straight away like he he knew he wasn't going to get in every tournament he wasn't trying to get a quick fix to get straight out there and hope it worked the next week he had time so he had the perseverance to work on the the plan and and knew it was going to be a little bit more long-term stuff than a quick fix so I think that was to the benefit of both of us that 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 was the situation so when you first met up with him for that first three-hour session and you were saying that, you know, you hadn't really asked too many questions before you met up and could speak to him in person, but when you said to him, like, hey, what, what's been going on? Like, what did he say at that point without, like, breaking well, client-coach confidentiality, <laughs> of course? Well, he just explained, you know, he had this he had this shot that crept in and he didn't know, and it, it was the shot that went, you know, and I don't know how exaggerated his... Uh, the way he said it was, but he said he'd hit it 40 or 50 yards right, which is a long way offline. Once he got into four irons, three irons, and woods. Gosh. And, of course, he hit a lot of those throughout a round, and you can't hide from those shots. Like, the further... You know, it's pretty hard to hit a wedge 40 yards offline, but it's quite easy to hit a three-wood or driver 40 yards offline because of the... You, know, you get less uh, upspin, you get more side spin. So when you're putting the wrong the wrong uh, bias on the ball, it's not really going to behave very well. So he could still have a, uh, hit his wedges pretty good and even his short irons. Um, but, of course, that your confidence in those gets affected too because you you don't know when that bad shot's coming. So you sort of put a little bit of extra pressure on yourself with those mm-hmm. short clubs because you want to get the score going there. So that was his shot. And, you know, he ran through what some of the instructors that he'd been working with had told him and, and then I just sort of formed an opinion of that. And then we went about explaining, okay, so this shot happens because of this. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the approach that you were given, you know, golf instruction's hard. You only know what you know. And you're trying to help the person. You're not trying to make them worse. But he was sort of told, you know, if you're hitting it right, that if you can keep the club face more closed, going back and close coming down and then just try and rotate your body out of the way, that, that club should square up. But for him, you know, he's rather tall. He's six foot three. He, um, with this closed club face that was coming down, it basically begged him to hit it 
a long way right because he knew he couldn't release the club. So he had to try and rotate his body into the ball. And with his height, he didn't like the feeling of that and his shoulders would steepen out and he'd just leave the face way open. So I think getting an explanation of why that shot happened encouraged him because he, mm-hmm. he wasn't sure why. You know, he was trying to do what people were telling him and it wasn't working. So I think that was step one, just sort of letting him know why I thought it it would happen Mm -hmm. and then we went about resolving it so funnily enough you've played a little bit of golf Diane that you would think if the ball goes right that's because the club face is open but for him it went right because it was closed and then he had to open it so Uh, the the first thing that I did with him when we hit was I made him hit with the club face feeling as open as he could from just a short start point And I'm sure it scared the life out of him because he probably thought he was going to hit it further right. But it gave him permission to sort of release the club again. And it also gave him permission to make his body keep turning as he was hitting rather than his body stop and go up in the air to to avoid that. So lo and behold, he did a few of those and he started to, that right shot became five yards right rather than 40 yards right. So almost immediately that gave him something that he knew he could at least play with that he didn't have to fear that it was going to, miss big time and, and really destroy his, his scorecard. So that sort of got him going. But I um I have a lot of drills for people, and this was really interesting. I still get a chuckle out of it. Even with Russell, he sent me some videos once doing the drills and it's like in his back room there. It's actually funny to have on file because he's these world champion PGA players and they're doing my drills in their basement and in their garage. <laughs> and it's, it's actually funny to see, but it's encouraging because every now and then I'll tell someone that I teach you've got to do the drills because that's what's going to change the the body and I said the drills that I'm showing you are the same things that Russell Knox did and the same things that Brandon Todd did and Robert Allenby and all these guys that I've worked with they're all doing the same things that you are doing so it's actually it was highlighting uh you know it was interesting to watch him just banging his drills out in the basement he had the six weeks to do it and started to get better and he trusted it and then he uh about this time last year, he started going well again. Mm-hmm. So when you say he had six weeks to do it, did he take six weeks off, i.e. he wasn't going to be playing for that period of time and he kind of set himself a goal for the end of those six weeks? Correct. He wasn't going to get in any tournaments. He had no status. He was a, just a past uh, winner on the PGA Tour and he didn't. He wasn't going to get in those tournaments, so he knew he had some time off. So he went to work and um, he was going to the second stage of the qualifying school for the Corn Ferry and that was his first event back and he you know he started off a bit slow he shot 73 and then he shot 71 and then the last two days he shot like 66 and 63 so he started to get see some results he missed out on qualifying unfortunately by a couple of shots but the next day he went to Monday qualify for the RSM Classic which is coming up in a couple of weeks and he shot 61 in the qualifier Won that by like four or five shots. (laughs) Got in the tournament, made four rounds of the 60s, made the cut and got some little bit of status back because he made the cut and got in the re-rank and helped him get in a few tournaments. Um, You know, the backstory is he missed like 40 out of 44 cuts before I started working with him. And then, so he made that cut and last, last year he played, I think he played about 21 events since we've been working together and he... He made the cut in, uh, I think, 15 of them. Wow. So that was a massive turnaround. You know, he didn't have a great 
breakout finish until the Corn Ferry um, playoff thing. He came second in one of the tournaments, which got his card back. But he was making cuts and he was making getting to play four rounds. And that was one of the things that he said to me. He goes, I can't bust out of this if I'm only playing two rounds because it it kills my um, you know, momentum if I get any and it kills my belief because I'm, I'm playing Thursday, Friday, and I'm not playing again for a week, basically, you know, tournament conditions. So just the fact that last year he got to play four rounds in a bunch of tournaments certainly helped prepare him for what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Gosh, there's so many things to talk about. There's so many different areas of it. And one thing is, and it was going back to what you said, that he'd been in touch and worked with a few other coaches beforehand and they had told him this, that and the other. You know, obviously... I'm bigging you up. You're part of the Secret Golf team and, you know, you've been working with Russell and, of course, now the success here with Brendan. But what do you think when you hear what some of these guys tell you about what other coaches are telling them to do? Like, it must blow your mind. Some of it does, but I mentioned that earlier. I said you sort of only know what you know and and golf instruction is a tough thing because, you know, I, like I said, I was fortunate I was a player. So I got to run through the mill of everything. I, I've, I've tried everything except stand on my head to hit a golf ball, basically. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard a lot, seen a lot, and watched a lot and tried And also, a lot. sorry to interrupt, but you've done it in tournament conditions as well, which you can't replicate. That's right. And and a lot of golf coaches, you know, bless their heart, they can't help that. They, they didn't get to the stand that I did, so they never played on tour and they never felt the heat of the battle and they, they didn't, you know, it's easy to go out and play golf with your buddies, have a couple of beers on the way around and, and shoot a half decent score, but it's much different when you're on tour. So I had that background, which was really helpful and a lot of coaching because, you know, a lot of coaching is basically done from a manual. You know, people get told what to coach rather than have the experience of what well, I had that, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what, feels you got why this can work one day and not the next and things like that so I think it has been a great benefit you know and there was a theory that people that were good players can't coach but hopefully I'm going to disprove that because I think you can I think a lot of good players do know what they're doing but they don't coach for a living so they don't have to explain it they don't have to get it around a pupil's mind yeah. what they're talking about and it's very feel related whereas I I talk about feels I give them drills I talk about the mental there's all the all the involvement just from my experience and I'm it's an interesting subject because you know with all the money on tour and you transfer from the PGA onto the champions tour a lot of people don't coach that were good players mm-hmm. and I sort of went that route and put a lot of time into it so there was a sort of a period missing where a lot of the good players that were great players didn't end up teaching they would just go on to the champions tour and and keep going you know but in the old days you got your Jackie Burks and your your Paul Runyons and all these even Byron Nelson worked with Tom Watson you know you've got these great players that started coaching people yeah and we see that in tennis now we see a lot of the older players now are the coaches, you know, because of the experience and the, the different aspect of their coaching. And if you put the time in, like I think I put a lot more time into working out the golf swing and how I would coach than I did as a player. So I, I didn't want to just try and teach what I felt or what I thought. I had to try and delve into it deeper. And if you put the time in and you were a good player, I think it can be really beneficial. 
But then it's also your demeanor as a person, because you have to have a lot of patience if you're going to be coaching people. And, you know, you coach a variety of people. But when someone comes to you as a PGA Tour player who's had success on tour and has won and then has hit rock bottom so much so that they have the full swing yips they stand over the ball and they don't know what to do like you have to have you have to be very aware of your demeanor and how you're going to actually go through the process with them sure and I think um I think you know just in a way just because I did play I probably get a bit more respect off them just because of that because I can stand there and show them and do what I'm talking about whereas um you know some coaches can't can't do what they're trying to relate. So I think just the fact that they can see what I'm doing and I can explain it in a way and, and they can see a result from me and then they do the same thing that they see the result that it, mm-hmm. it just becomes a bit easier. So it's a confidence thing. It's a trust thing. I remember an interview Brandon did when he, um, he first started work with me and got a few good results. He did a podcast with some people and one of his first things he said on the podcast when they mentioned me and him, he goes, I totally trust him. So, you know, he was invested in me. He he had his trust in me and knew that I wasn't going to give him the the bum steer or give him the wrong info or get on his case too much. I, I know it's hard, but mm-hmm. he trusted me. So that was, I think that was a great thing to, to hear. How long do you think it took for that level of trust to be established? Um, I don't know. Probably, probably when he started seeing the four rounds come along and get a few results and make a cut and, and see that, um, you know, under the tournament conditions, that shot wasn't coming. That yeah. bad shot that had plagued him was not there anymore. And, you know, he played at the Wells Fargo tournament. That was his, he came 18th, actually, which was his best finish for like four years. And he, he was near the lead after two days. And we spoke and everything. And after the Saturday's round, he, he double bogeyed the first hole. And I said, you know, what happened? He goes, I was just nervous. He goes, I hadn't been there before. I hadn't done it for a long time. And I was nervous and I hit a bad shot, but I got right back on track. And I think he ended up shooting under par for the day. And so he got three or four under the rest of the way. And he said, but I didn't fear it. I just knew it was not my swing. It was just a little bit different stage. I hadn't been on for a while and the swing held up. So I think that gave him confidence to that. He just didn't see that bad shot and didn't feel it was going to come into his game any longer. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the past three weeks with the Asian swing on the PGA Tour, we had Justin Thomas, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy win. So these three guys that are machines, they're at the top of their game. And for the average golf fan watching them, you think we have nothing in common. There's nothing relatable (laughs) between us. But then you do look at someone like Brendan and even hearing him there admit that he was nervous. So he double bogeyed the first hole because he was nervous. And I'm sure with this horrible shot that crept into his game, he would go up there, stand over the ball, and his confidence would crash. And that's something that every golfer can relate to because we might have a bad hole, hit a few bad shots, and it creeps into your mind, and it's hard for us to recover. But these guys have to recover from that immediately. So to hear the honesty, you know, it's, it is almost reassuring for us to be like, wow, they are real people. They're just like us. <laughs> well, everyone goes through it, you know, Really, pressure or you know nervousness is it can happen in a couple of ways. One, are you out of your league at that time? Like, is it some position that you don't think you could be in or should be in? And is it something you haven't done for a while? Or 
or you know, basically you get out of your comfort level. But if you feel really good in your ability and you swing and you're striking, I think a lot of that fear disappears. I remember Russell talking about the putt that he made at the Irish Open. He, he didn't fear the moment. He just didn't try any harder. He didn't. He just stepped up and hit it, and he made it. And you learn to do that the more that you're in these situations. And, you know, obviously we had lunch, myself and Brendan, back in April somewhere in Georgia where he lives. We went and worked and we had lunch afterwards. And you could see in his eyes he was getting more confident. He was hitting really good. And he was getting pats on the back from me that I didn't want to change anything. It was just the same stuff, just keep reinforcing it. And he looked at me at lunch and he goes, you know, I'm going to win again. And I said, I have no doubt that you will. I said, you want it bad. You've tasted it before and you're working hard. I can't see why why you can't. And here we are six months later and, he, and he's done it. He, and he has spoke about this, that he didn't think he was going to be doing this for much longer. There were dark times where he thought, I will not be playing golf as my profession. So what, I mean, you know him very well, but what strength of character it takes for someone and the support they have around them in their coach, in their family, and their friends. But the strength of character to persevere and be like, no, I'm going to keep going and I'm going to make this happen. That's so admirable because it's something that a lot of people lack in life. Yeah, well, I think he said, you know, he had success. So he still had money a little bit. You know, he wasn't desperate for money because he had quite a good career up until that stretch but obviously when you you play and you're not making cuts you spend all the money but that didn't make him desperate and he just still had belief like he'd never every time I ever spoke with him he was never down about the what had happened he was still you could see he was still looking at the prospects of what was ahead and I know he did I don't think he ever had the intention to quit or give it up but he did look into opening a restaurant and doing maybe doing other things just whether it was going to be for a period of time or whether it was going to be full-time, I don't know, but that he was going to look into those things. So he still had that little cushion of the RSM and a couple of other pawns mm-hmm. that we that we were playing to, to maybe see what happened and change his course, and he, he ended up doing that. And now he has a, a full tour card secured for the next two years, <laughs> just like that. That's right, yeah, <laughs> through 2022. So obviously... The, the, the tricky thing with that is not that it's going to happen because we, you know, we've stuck to our plan very, very much the whole way. But that's what happened to him last time. He won and he got the job security for three years and then he started tinkering around and sort of that maybe led to losing his game. But I'll make sure he doesn't do that this time. <laughs> and just keep keep doing the same things over and over and, and build on what we're doing and once you win and you prove that you're really good, what what really extra do you have to try and change? Uh-huh. It's so funny because, uh, well, it's not funny, it's the complete opposite, but I spoke to Bronson Burgoon on the podcast a few months ago and he said the exact same thing, that he was finishing top five. He had like a few second place finishes. It was this time last year because it was in Malaysia. He finished second and he said... I was like, well, why Why did you change? Like, why do you feel the need after you're having these, like, top fives, top tens? Why did you feel the need to change? And he was like, because I didn't know how I was going to win. Like, I was, <laughs> I was doing well, but I did not know how I was going to get my game to the next level. But isn't it funny that you 
in that stage think, well, I need to do something. You don't really take into account the variables of the person you're playing against who ever went on to win, that they had an amazing day and there's nothing you can do about it. But isn't it crazy that when you get to that level, there's that just constant, you want to grow, you want to be better. You think that you have to change something to get there. Yeah, and sometimes it's not a swing. Sometimes it's like that extra bit of concentration or that one more, one less part or, you know, just something really simple. But people tend to sort of free fall a little bit because they think they need that extra 10 yards. Or they've got to hit this five iron and six irons closer or some funny things that can throw everything off kilter. And that, that's the hard thing about when you make a change in your swing, it has an effect on some other part of the swing too. So... That's why a lot of instruction is difficult because they make you concentrate on one area, but there's actually a yang to that yin on somewhere else in the swing. Mm-hmm. So you've got to work on both parts. So a lot of people fall in the rabbit hole because they get too intent on one part of their swing or one feel or one working. And yeah. without knowing, it's causing something else to happen in their swing that's different. And if it's something that was already good in their swing and they're changing it for the worse, then... Yeah. It just goes around in circles and you, you don't know what to do. Even Justin Thomas had said that when he was injured earlier this year and he couldn't swing, he became obsessed with his putting. And he became so obsessed <laughs> that it went the other way, that he started putting really badly after that because that was the only thing he could work on and he became obsessed with that quest perf- for perfection. Yeah, that's golf, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's a funny <laughs> thing, you got to... Yeah, I think you either got to be really smart and know exactly what you're doing all the way. You've got to be dumb as dirt to play really good golf. There's no in between. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, going back to the drills. So you were saying that, you know, you, you give your guys homework. They have to do homework. And for the younger players, it's amazing for them to see that these tour players are actually working on their drills in their basement at home or in their back room, their backyard, whatever. But so what kind of drills do you give the guys to work on? Like for Brendan, let's just focus on him, I guess. But after working with him for a little while, what drills do you make him work on at home? We did it in stages. The first one that I did with him was actually drill one, where we, we learned to release the club. So he couldn't, he wasn't allowed to do that with his, having the club face closed. He was sort of having a hold on and just try and rotate his body and he wasn't really releasing the club. So we did drill one, work on hitting the bag and firing the arms and the hands and squaring the club and giving it a bit of whack at the bottom of the swing. So we did that. Now, of course, when you start releasing it quicker, you have to then try and go through a bit quicker. So then we added the famous board in that Russell's used. Oh, yep. <laughs> we built some bigger footwork and legwork and pressure in that basically made him use the ground better and enabled him to then rotate on the way through with more speed to to keep up with the, the quicker release. It was actually really interesting to see. I have a side-by-side of him from 2016 and, and then, you know, earlier this year, and the, the speed of his swing is so much faster now. They, they have this video where they start at the same time, and the new swing, he's almost, he's finished his follow-through, and he's really only just hit the ball on the old one. Wow. So we got a lot of speed out of his swing mm-hmm. from doing the, the footwork stuff. The footwork has been probably the key one for him over the period of time, but like I said, I've got video of him grinding away in the basement with his uh, T-shirt on, UGA, University of Georgia T-shirt and shorts <laughs> on in the basement. And it's 
pretty it's pretty funny to to have. I, I don't share those with anyone, but it, that's oh, just yeah. for my reference. But it, it's funny to to see to see that, and amazingly to see that if you do them enough, that your body changes and it becomes habit rather than a thought. A thought. Crazy, and it, that's that in itself is a great lesson for every golfer as well. Because, for example, I just look at me who's like so far down the totem pole, <laughs> but I'll have some weeks where I'll go out and hit balls, and I'll go and play, and I've probably been, you know, out with the clubs three or four times, and I can do that for a few weeks, and then I'll go a few weeks where I don't go out at all, and then I get lazy with it, and then I'll go out once, and it's consistency. You're never going to get better if you're not consistently doing something. Correct, and you, you know, and the other thing about the drills that have worked so well, and I know I harp on about them, but I'm just a big believer in them because I've seen it work yeah. with all levels of, of player from beginner to PGA guy, is that it's really hard to change a swing just by thinking it, because your body can't do it, and your brain will try and tell your body to do something, but if your body can't handle the the extra range of motion or the extra force that's happening, it's just going to, you know, fall into rubble. So the the drills train and strength and all those areas so after a while when you actually try to do what what your brain or your body's getting told to do your brain can relax it can take a step back and just say all right dude i've seen you do this drill a million times i'm your body can do that i'll just step out of the way and not interfere so it really helps changing your muscles and your structure and what's going on is how you're going to change your swing rather than thinking of it. And we all know that. People will go on the driving range and film their swing and they go, right, I'm going to put my right arm here and I'm going to drive my right foot this way. And, and then they look at it and it looks no different. <laughs> and that's because they can't think it. You've got to train it. Mm-hmm. Good tip. Now, you are, you're a very chilled person anyway and you're not one of these people that you're out with the guys week after week. You kind of pick some tournaments and go, I know you're going to the RSM Classic this year, aren't you? And you'll see the guys there. But do you, when you're watching them on TV, so you were saying that you're you're busy, obviously, and you don't have time just to like sit and watch the golf coverage week in, week out. But do you ever notice things and text the guys or do you wait for them to come to you? Like, how does that relationship work? Uh, I wait for them. Um, I've I've actually only ever been to one tournament and that's the Hilton Head, where you, you and I walked around and watched we Russell. Did. That's so funny. That's the only tournament I've ever been to. So we had a cocktail. We had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched uh, Brendan play on the course in the wow. tournament. Even when I go to the RSM, I won't be staying for the tournament and just do a little bit of work beforehand, and, and that's about it. But I, I do pay attention on TV. I really don't watch that much golf, but I do record it, and then I'll flick through it at night and if I see Russell pop up or Brendan pop up I'll watch the swing and see and you know when Russell was in Scotland and Ireland that early year he'd send me a couple of swings here and there and ask a couple of things but generally during the tournament I haven't heard Brendan from him I never spoke to him last week okay. he came and saw me um, about four days before he was heading off to Bermuda he came down to, up to Greenville and we went and hit some balls and we went out and played some holes and just reiterated everything and gave him a, just a feel or a reinforcement of that it's all good and maybe this, feel that a bit more or what have you and just send him on his way. <laughs> That's the exact word I was about to use there, that these guys know what they have to do. 
So by sending you a video or spending a bit of time with you, it is, it's like a mental reinforcement. They just want a little bit of validation to be like, yep, okay, good. You're doing it right. On you go. Yeah, I think so. And there's actually a funny story about that because I had um, Brendan's brother-in-law came and saw me for a lesson and he was laughing. He goes, he goes, how funny are you? He goes, I'm, my, my sister, which is obviously Brendan's wife, he said, she tells me the story how Brendan called you one day and he said, I want to come and see I'm doing, I'm, I'm, and I told him no. She laughed that I said no. I said, no, dude, I don't need to see you. Like, it all looks good. Just work on this little bit, add that part, and you don't need to come see me. Just, you know what you're doing, just fire away and off you go. So she thought that was hilarious that, you know, most coaches would say, sure, come and see me, let's work on this. And I, I said, no, go away, I don't want to see you. Uh, the mental game is crazy, isn't it? It's just, it's all confidence. <laughs> Maybe it, I was mentally getting in his head there. <laughs> no, but that's a good thing because you're like, at the same time, by you saying that, you're almost making it out to him like, hey, dude, this is not a big deal. Like, if you come to me and make this big trip, then you're almost turning it into a bigger deal than it actually is. It's not a big deal. And that's like, why, yeah. yeah, and that's why it's hard to go to a tournament and watch him because ideally, I don't, you don't want to change things too much when you're at a tournament. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. So, you know, if I'm ever there, I'm just practice days, basically reinforcing something. Or, or if they ask me a question, I'll give them the answer, what I think, and maybe tweak it ever so slightly. But you're never making big changes, and I'm not going to stand there and and tell them, damn, what are you doing? What's what's going on here? Like, you got to reinforce them and tap them on the back and send them out to battle and let them do what they know what they can do. Yeah. Well, I'm one for the numbers and I always like looking at the stats, but it's just the money. Like you look at the top line, Brendan's previous 60 starts, he made just under $386,000. And then with that win in Bermuda, $540,000. So there you go. Those numbers speak for themselves too. And it's a good little good little week's work, isn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Amazing. Right, Bradley, thank you so much. And huge congratulations because that's always the team. And that's the thing about golf now. And it's probably the thing that's very different to when you were playing on tour. Like, it is, it's so much of a team effort now for the guys. Yeah, we were a lot more on our own back in those days, which is good. And I think ultimately the way I try and coach is to make the player be able to do it himself. That's why I don't need to be around all the time. And make them become their own best coach because I can't be out there. Well, no one can be out there. It's mm -hmm. basically just them and their caddy who can provide support, but not maybe the knowledge. So they have to learn it, understand it, be able to feel it and make it repeat and hold up those trophies on the Sunday evening. Yes. And have a little cocktail to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> That is one of my favourite podcasts that we've probably ever done. First of all, because I love Bradley Hughes. But secondly, how great to celebrate something that, I mean, it's just been a period of so much hard work, such an emotional roller coaster of Brendan being at rock bottom for not just a couple of months, but three years, losing his tour card, having to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour and Monday qualifiers and working with a brand new coach and to see the like the results the hard work everything come to fruition oh 
Amazing. This is why I love this sport so much. Thank you very much to Bradley Hughes. And thank you for listening to this podcast. I think we'll do another one later in the week because we'll talk a bit about, um, well, Jason Kokrak had a great finish in China, T8 at the first WGC of the 2019-2020 season. And well, this week, the President's Cup picks being made as well. So we'll be back later in the week to talk about all of that. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.